Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. I have seen some faces that I have not seen in a long time, and it's so good to see each and every one of you. I adore being in this place uh, with you. Like, and not only that, I just banned, I was, I had a nice little tear session over there, just like how thankful I am. Uh, as, a, as a speaker, the, the band just, it, they set you up really well, you know, like to, that the focus is not on me and I, I love it. I love being able to walk into a room and sit on a, stand on a stage and already, like you said it, God, we believe it. Already, Jaira, like you are enough. We're going to sit in on your provision. And so I, I, that's the posture that I hope that we all have today. That's the one I'm going to have as we dive in to week, I, I think we're in week seven, actually. This is crazy that we're this far into this uh, next week's Easter, which I don't know if you have been uh, with us for an Easter. I would love to have you. Not only that, but we have some fun door hangers on your way out. If you want to just case your street, maybe your neighborhood, and put some door hangers on. Uh, we have never been one of those churches that spend a lot of money on mailers uh, like to send out. And, and whew, they're, they're expensive. Uh, but what we have done every year is case neighborhoods with some, some uh, door hangers. And it is so neat, the people who come to this place, because they got a door hanger. So don't, don't forsake the power of a hanger, okay? Don't, don't do it. But grab one on your way out. Join us for Easter. Bring your family, your friends. Uh, I, I'm really excited. We're, the theme of it is we're going to dive into not only, obviously, uh, you know the theme, victory, but we're sitting in the power of the blood. Um, the power of the blood is really what we're sitting in next week, um, and I'm excited. So Consider Jesus has been a, a series that we've been in, um, and those of you who are new, my name is Greg McKinney. Sorry I didn't introduce myself. You can call me Greg. You can call me Gregory. You can call me Hey Dude. Uh, you can call me Pastor Greg, whatever you want. I will answer it. I'll do my best, uh, but I don't really care about the label, so you just call me Greg. Um, but my wife and I lead Glory Church, much like we do our family. We have four crazy kids, and uh, she's not in here, but, but she's starting to show, so I'll say that we also have a fifth one on the way. Yeah, yeah, uh, which is a little scary. Um, not planned at all, at all. Um, but we've known for a while, so you guys are like, uh, we, we're not posting it. I actually, I will cut this out of the podcast, because uh, have you ever seen the, you know, reels, like on social media? This is, I'm going to, you know, the song that's like, uh, one, two, three, four, five, you know that? So we're literally not telling anyone on social media until I make this funny little video of like, Jack, Trey, Autumn, Kent, and then baby. Like, and then everyone's like, what? Where'd that come from? Yeah, so no one back home who just doesn't know us know us, and they're not going to know uh, until baby is there. Um, that's, that's, so don't mess this up for me, okay? Don't ruin this for me. That's all I have, okay? <laughs> 
No, I, I am excited, though. We lead it much like we do our family, which is we are, uh, we are a unit. Uh, we, we are a unit in all the things. My wife is a more behind-the-scenes kind of leader, but she, uh, she helps facilitate so much of this place. So hug her, okay? Realize the weight that she carries just by having to carry me a lot. Uh, so know that. But this morning is Palm Sunday, and we know of Palm Sunday because of the branches maybe that were laid down or branches that were waved as Jesus is triumphantly entering into Jerusalem. But hopefully, if you've been with us, I've set this Palm Sunday up a little differently because the past two weeks, uh, you can find it on our podcast, the past two weeks, we've been traveling in what Jesus has been doing every single day. Uh, and so he's been in Jericho right before this. He has uh, healed a, a, a tax collector, changed his life. He's been redeemed, saved. And then last week, uh, he had this difficult parable. And now, if you remember, uh, he told them, he ended the, the words, literally this, bring all the enemies to me that they can be slaughtered in my presence. And then he was like, peace out and going to Jerusalem. And the story, literally, we're going to pick it up. It will say this if you put it up. After he said this, that parable, after he said this, hey, bring the enemies in front of me that they can be slaughtered in my presence, he went ahead going to Jerusalem. In other words, that, that little unspoken is he went ahead and the crowds didn't really follow him. They did not like that, that word, but people would be coming. A multitude of people would be coming along, and that's where we're about to get into Palm Sunday. Now, if I can have your help with this, um, someone who's grown up in church your whole life, you can, sometimes, uh, you can sometimes miss the beauty of what Jesus is wanting to communicate because you think you know it already, Okay. It, it's, it's hard. Those of us who've been a part of the faith for a decade, two decades, three decades, four plus decades, the worst thing you can do to the Bible is assume that it's already in you. But instead, the word of God says this in James, accept with meekness the word that is implanted in you. All right? So I get that it might be in you, but how about we accept it with meekness today? which means with humility, this gentleness, this reverence, this ability to say, I will take you at your word, okay? Can we do that? I'm gonna open up this text. You've read the story. If you've been to any Palm Sunday service, you know it. But what would it be like if you accepted with meekness, if you welcomed with meekness the word? Yes, it's implanted in you, but he's got something for you today. Sound good? Sweet, thank you. I just had to say that as we get into this. Verse 28 of Luke 19. The word of God says this, that after Jesus had said this, the parable of the minas, and that's not in your Bible, all right? That's my parentheses, okay? Uh, just trying to set you up on what's going on. Jesus went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. It says, when he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at, that, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here to me. And if anyone would ask you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So verse 32, those, uh, so those who were sent departed and found it just, there we go. It's okay, guys. We're going to keep going. Uh, it says, therefore bring it. If anyone asks you, are we struggling? Are we, it's okay. You can turn the volume down. We got it. It's all good. 
you're golden. Uh, it says, untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. And so those who sent found it just as he said. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying my colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. That's an interesting phrase. They set Jesus on it. Okay. They helped him up. Uh, Verse 36, as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. And as he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began praising God joyfully with a loud voice over all of the deeds of power that they had seen. In John's gospel, it says, those who knew that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. So they're like calling out the exact things that he is doing. Uh, odds are they, they've seen him heal my sister. They've seen him heal this person. And so they're praising him for the things that he has done. And, and it's just the news is spreading and people are joining and they're saying this, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees, though, in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. And Jesus answered them, I tell you, if these disciples were silent, the stones would shout out. Verse 41, as he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you Even you, Jerusalem, had only recognized that on this day, the things that make for peace. Some of you have a bone to pick. Some of you, you you want the Lord to, to come out in vengeance. Some of you want him to come out in anger. Do you realize that on this day, on this day, he says, something of peace has entered your place. If you've realized it. But it says, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Verse 43, indeed, the days are going to come upon you, though, when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you, and they will hem you in on every side, and they will crush you to the ground. It says, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another, because you did not realize the time of your visitation from God. Whew, all right. Jesus is entering in to Jerusalem. The historian Josephus, which I I love, as you heard last week, I I love me some history. Uh, The historian Josephus wrote that there was around 2 million Jews who pilgrimed, like who came journeying to Jerusalem. In fact, what's happening is the, it's the Passover, okay? So not just Holy Week, the day that Jesus is going to die, but it's Passover week. And so all of these people are pilgrimaging to Jerusalem. You, you, it was something that you did as a Jew. You, so you strapped up, you got the whole family. Many times it was just men. Some women would be able to go. Not many kids were able to go uh, unless they were old enough to make the journey. But they would go almost annually to Jerusalem, two million people, all journeying, get this, to the city of God to celebrate a victory, a deliverance that God had done in the past. The Passover, the time when when the Holy Spirit passed over, when the God Almighty passed over the Jews and all of the Egyptian firstborns were dead. So the next day they could be free, Okay. They're celebrating the way that God has delivered them in the past, but are about to literally miss the way that the Lord is about to deliver them 
eternally, right? They're, they're going to miss it. The same people who will scream Hosanna today will yell crucify him in a few days. They're going to miss it. It's, it's humbling. It's so interesting. But the journey, it was a joy for some. It was a journey of duty. So, some thought of it as an obligation. Others thought of it, they were, they were waiting on the Messiah to the point that they were going to do everything to be visibly aware of what he's doing. So there's a lot of emotions going on all in Jerusalem. And the, the writers, Matthew and Mark, write this word as defining Jerusalem, the word turmoil. That literally says turmoil. That as Jesus approaches, the, the Pharisees are angry, the people are chanting, there is all of this happening. People are saying, who is this? And it says the city was in turmoil. That word means anxiety. The city was full of this anxious buzz. And I love it because right before this is happening, I just, let's go to this story. He says, I need you to untie a donkey. Matthew and John actually write that, that this wasn't just one donkey, but two donkeys. So if you know the story and you're like, why did Luke just write one donkey? It's okay. Calm down. Uh, Matthew and, and John write two donkeys. Really what it is is the mommy donkey and the baby donkey. Okay? But the reason there's two beautiful donkeys going on is not because Jesus was tired. If you know anything about Jesus, he had pretty good cardio strength, right? He's walking all the time. He's walking out. He made it all the way to Jericho, not riding a donkey. He doesn't need to ride a donkey into Jerusalem. He did it for a purpose. Okay, he doesn't need to. He's got some cardio. Some of you would be out way long ago, right? You wouldn't have even made it to Jericho walking, okay? Uh, sadly, you, are, you don't have the strength that Jesus did on his legs, okay? He knows how to walk. Uh, <laughs> so he didn't need the donkey to get into Jerusalem. He needed the donkey to make a very powerful stance, okay? It's really beautiful. In fact, Matthew writes this. Matthew connects it to the, Pharisee, uh, to the prophecy in Zechariah 9, where it says this, uh, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. This is not just this symbol of humility, but like, can I just let you understand this isn't weird for a king to do. When a king wanted to make a royal entrance uh, post-war, he would ride in on a donkey. When a king wanted to make a royal entrance before war, he would ride in on a mighty steed, all right? They're two different images. It's not uncommon for a royalty to ride on a donkey. It is uncommon for royalty to ride on a donkey when everyone else thinks we're going to war. See what Jesus is speaking already. I'm already making peace. It's already happening. The war is already victorious. And you're like, Jesus, you haven't even died on the cross. It's already victorious. You see, when a, when a king was riding on a donkey, that's because there is current peace happening. But not only that, it's really beautiful. Uh, this donkey is this image of meekness. It's this image of, of, I am not here to fight. I'm here to have peace, which is the confusion that happened. Because Jerusalem, look at what is happening that's making a way for peace. Yet you are missing it. You're missing it. But the story continues, though, because uh, I want to talk about why there's two donkeys. Okay, because you could do that with just one donkey. But there's actually a prophecy 
uh, and then I'll, we'll get back into this, but this is just a fun little fact. Uh, do you remember the 12 sons of Jacob? Do you remember the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel? We got this. Uh, there's a prophecy given to Judah. The, the line of Judah would come the Savior, okay? There's a prophecy given in Genesis, and it says this. It's really cool if you think about it. It says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. From Judah came King David, came a lot of the great kings, and obviously then came Jesus. But it continues, until tribute comes to him. And the obedience of his people is his. Verse 11, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine and his robe in the blood of grapes. Now what? A lot of historians believe that these two donkeys are for a reason. One, to fulfill the prophecy of what's about to happen. To say that this king is going to come in humility, not in power and might in this, in this crazy way, but a power from meekness. But this prophecy says one day he will bind the donkey to a vine and then bind the, the colt to a choice vine. You want to know something neat about that? The word vine just means life blessings. Uh, the choice vine was a specific vine that's grapes were not purple, they were blood red. And so in scripture, anytime you see choice vine, it's because the grapes were blood red. What's going on here is twofold. A lot of our uh, commentaries and a lot of beautiful historians uh, believe that, that Jesus wore uh, and bore himself uh, this ability to, uh, I'm going to confirm two prophecies in one. I'm going to take me as a king, but also I'm going to ride on a never ridden before colt to show that I'm bringing something new that's going to be tied to the vine of blood. Okay. So I'm going to be writing something new that's going to tie itself to a choice vine, a vine of blood, while also bringing with me this older donkey that's going to be tied to the vine of life. What I'm doing is the old covenant, those who followed me before, those who stuck with me and, and did everything, I'm, I'm binding them to life. While I'm also bringing in something new bound to blood. It's really cool. What Jesus is doing right now is, is he's taking care of all of the Israelites, the Jewish men and women of faith beyond, tying them to life. And now he's saying, on this donkey that's never been written before, I'm bringing a new thing, a new covenant, one that will be bound, tied, structured, stabilized, anchored in blood. Okay, Jesus. Okay, it's this new covenant. Realize this Savior. But I just want to like clarify, this man is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, he is a casually clothed man. I'm just going to paint this picture of the image of the invisible God. A casually clothed man. He has sandals that show that he is not rich, poor, he has an outer cloak that prove his poverty. It is ragged. It is old. He is riding on a borrowed donkey. Not only that, but a tiny borrowed donkey holding next to it its mother. I just need to keep going with this. There is dirt on his skin. There are trails of tears in his face. And there is flooding water out of his eyes 
and emotional wails in his words. The word he wept over Jerusalem means he wailed. That word means to cry out. This isn't the silent cries that you, you, you men try to do when you're watching a movie and it chokes you up. <laughs> no, this is a wailing. Now, we have a man who is poorly clothed. We have a man riding on a donkey, a borrowed donkey, one that he could not even afford in his own because he did not have money. We have a man who is clearly worn in clothes, and now he's crying and wailing. Is that the man that you surrender to daily? Because odds are, we don't. Like, I just, is that the man that you are willing to give your whole life to? Not fancy or designer clothes. He's not in prestige. He's not driving a, a, a huge fancy car. Is that the man that you're willing to give your whole life to? Is this the man that you know? You see, Jesus says, no one knows the Father except through me. And the interesting thing is, I think we can get caught up on the rights and the rules and the anger and the, the, the power and the, of the almighty God and miss the meekness that he came in. And if I don't know the savior who is okay wailing and he is meek and he is seemingly weak, and if I don't know intimately that man, then I don't know the God of the universe. In fact, he is about to get a little... Whew, Jess is going to have a good week. Um, so on Tuesday, we're going to be reading and learning about some of the parables that Jesus spoke. Jess is going to handle a lot of them, or one of them. She's got it. But what, one thing that he says in Matthew 25 is he says, at the end of all days, I will bring to me the sheep and the goats, and I will put the sheep to my right and the goats to my left. And I will look to the sheep and I will say, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And then it's going to keep, and they're going to, but master, we didn't feed you. But when you did to the least of these, you did to me. Then he's going to look at the goats. When I was hungry, you did not feed me. When I was naked, you did not clothe me. Well, master, if we would have seen you, we would have done that. What you did to the least of these, you, or didn't do, you didn't do for me. Depart from me, I never knew you. You see, the interesting thing here is I think a lot of us have an understanding of God, but we do not submit to the meek and emotionally, seemingly unstable Jesus who's wailing over lost people. Very different. In fact, can I just like go on this little tangent of the sheep and the goats? You know what the, the, the difference between the two are? It's not just that they, are, they look different, though if you're a child, they might look the same, right? Uh, they, they, may, they may have similar distinctions, but their instincts are different. Do you know anything about sheep and goats? Their very instincts are different. A goat is curious, but it's independent. Some of you are very curious about the gospel, but you're still independent. Are you a goat? Some of you, goats will reach, they will reach to high places in order to eat. Goats will get on their hind legs and eat the things that are not for them. But they think it looks good. So every Sunday I feel peace in this place. So I'm going to reach to something that I, it's not mine to reach. And I'm going to be fed from the joy of other people. I'm going to be fed from the peace that comes from other people. You see, goats will reach 
they will reach high to get their food. Have you ever seen a goat on its hind legs? Not only that, goats are very difficult and unsubmissive. Goats, when an, hey, when a fight comes, goats get ready to fight. When a sheep comes, sheep run. They run to their shepherd. They run to the flock. When a fight comes in your, in, in your life, when sin rears its, its ugly head, do you fight independently throwing your, 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 your hands? Do you re- result in this instinct that is goat-like? Or do you run to the flock? At the end of the day, the end of the day, my Savior is a humble man. I will not be anything but striving to be under him, right? My Savior is a weeping man. My Savior and so that's very different. Sheep instead, uh, where, where a goat will run in, in independence and run for refuge, a sheep runs for refuge to the shepherd. It will run to the flock day in and day out. Not only that, like sheep are unable to be alone. If you ever see a sheep alone, they're probably stuck somewhere, right? They're, they're, it's because they accidentally fell into a, a, like a, a crater, right? And they're, and they're stuck. They're needy of the master, But I also love this, sheep will instinctively not reach higher than they can eat from. They won't. Sheep will not take fruit from up here. They eat the grass that has been grown for them. Sheep don't reach for high places to be fed. They sit in the lowly, what the Lord has provided. Very different instinctually. Not only that, when someone bows up to a sheep, they out. They run. Have you ever tried to run after a sheep to pet it and it's just freaking out? A goat will attack you. Don't do that. A sheep will go. They're slow to fight and quick to cry for help. And when the prince of peace comes into Jerusalem, the sheep and the goats flock to him. They do. Why? Because he has food for both of them. But until they are instinctually changed, they will be goats different from the sheep. Do you see what I'm saying? So he's coming now. The reason they can all praise him is because he has something for them. But when he dies and now they have to die to themselves, goats are out. Goats are out. Crucify him. He's not here for power. He's not giving us what we want. Crucify him. But I say this in all humility because I need your heart to realize its need for that weeping and wailing man. If you are unable to sympathize with a God who aches for the lost, then you do not know the God that I know. You do not know the God that has shaped them over there, that has transformed and healed these people over here. We have to say, who is the Jesus that I think that I follow? If it's just ideas, then that means nothing. But this is what happens because what is about to do, he's going to bind one donkey, right, to life and the other to blood. The goats are out. They don't want anything to do with, with, with pain, with sacrifice. But sheep were made to be slaughtered. Ugh. Completely different, right? Made to be sacrificed. 
But then the story continues because we read what the multitude of the disciples are going to do. And I just, I have this attitude, okay? So this is going to be the whole last half of the, of the sermon. I promise we're going to have something for you to take away because this is what the sheep do. Uh, and, I, and I love it. Starting at verse 36, it says, as he rode along into Jerusalem, this is what happened. People kept spreading their cloaks on the road. And now he was approaching and they're screaming joyfully, blessed is is the king, but I'm going to sit in this idea of him, them taking off their cloaks and putting it on the road. Now, many of you have heard the palm, uh, palm branch version, right? But can we sit in on what this looks like for the multitude of disciples to take off their cloaks and put it on the road? This is not something uncommon. Uh, it's happened one other time in scripture in 2 Kings when uh, Jehu, uh, J-E-H-U, King Jehu was, was uh, crowned king. His officers took off their outer cloak and put, them, put it on the stairs for him to walk down and be, uh, be seen as king. His officers did it. So this isn't uncommon, but this is really beautiful. This garment symbolized a whole lot for the people of Israel. And I just want to sit in this, okay? Because if you want to know what separates a sheep from a goat, a sheep will take off their cloak and put it to be trotted on by donkeys, okay? Be trotted on by our Savior. And this is really what I'm going to get into. So uh, if you know what a cloak is, all right, again, let your mind learn, all right? Let Be like a child who is excited to learn. For the Israelites, cloaks were huge. It was the outward wear. It was what hid your tunic, which were your undergarments, okay? It is, is this heavy woolen cloak, oh, wow, cloak, cloak. And not only that, but it had so much room around it, often little pouches that you could keep things. It was so big that when the harvest happened, you could hold much grain in it. It was used by men and women like nobody's business. And as things kept progressing and time kept changing and more colors were added in, the cloak was everything. It really showcased whose family you were from, uh, your wealth, it showcased what kind of prestige you had, what line of work you did. The cloak that you wore, because then you started getting the fun little tassels if you watch The Chosen. Uh, there are little prayer tassels. So now it is a sign of if you are holy or not, because you have prayer tassels. The cloak began to mold into many things over time. It was not just this outward thing, which was really good, but it was also this very specific, it showcased my personality, my um, my job, you knew it by looking at my cloak. You knew what family line I was in often because we all wore similar colored cloaks. It's it just really, it was an identifying factor. And odds are were that every single man and lady had on a cloak. Do you know why? Because it was the tool needed when you travel anywhere. If you're going to travel and pilgrim, you put on the cloak. Why? Because it's so heavy. It's going to protect you from any weather. It's going to be with you for the, the, the cold nights. And what I love is not only that, the Mosaic law designated these cloaks as a big deal. This is really cool, a little fun fact, okay? Uh, God commanded, this is interesting. God commands that if anyone owes you money, you cannot take their cloak as payment. It would be sinful 
for them to give you their cloak as restitution. Instead, they deserve the dignity of their cloak. Cloak was a big deal. You did not give it away. You did not use it. It was not what you were to, to use in any way. And seeing that two million people had pilgrimaged, like made their journey to Jerusalem, there were two million cloaks in the building, right? Like two million cloaks were going on in the city. And it's interesting though, this dignity of that garment, it showed if you were a Pharisee, it showed if you were a Jew who was wealthy, if you were a merchant Jew, it showed if you were a Sadducee, it showed if you were a zealot, it showed it. And then, years later, my, my, one of my really good friends, Jeremy, gets to teach on this on Thursday, a little, little slide out. Years later, Scripture says, Jesus' night that he was be, be, like to be betrayed, he removes that which defines him as a Jewish man. And all you see now is his tunic, which is a much shorter garment, very plain, Bland and plain together is bland. Uh, so there you go. Blaine. It was very plain. And then we see him tie a towel around his waist, pick up a basin and wash. You see, no one would be seen in public other than slaves ready to serve. No one would be seen in public wearing their tunic unless they were slaves ready to serve. And what is happening now, just days before, Jesus would then say, hey, as I have loved my disciples, you guys need to love one another. In other words, take off your identifying factor that separates you from you and all that. Take it off and serve. He's already saying, this is how love, this is how you love. Days before that though, they see King Jesus riding on a donkey and they take off their outer cloak. Their tunics are shown. They are showcasing right now, I am a servant ready to serve. I'm a slave ready to serve. And they lay it down. Like, blessed is the king, right? That's what, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Like, peace in heaven, glory to him, the highest name. Like, I can even say for myself, my journey, this is what they're saying, my journey to Jerusalem, the city of God, to wait for a Messiah, to constantly showcase what God has done in the past and wait for him to come in the future, my journey has ended. The pilgrimage is over. My cloth is down. I can like tell you, my journey ended when Jesus knocked on the door of my heart when he said, he spoke to me, your life is not to be this buzz of anxiety, trying to do it yourself, like trying to make sure that you had the cleanest cloak, the, the best way, uh, the highest heights. The, it, it, my journey ended when I, Greg, laid down my cloak, let him tread over it, let him walk into town in it. And it was a season where God was like, I, I don't want your anxious, buzzing life anymore. Where the city of Jerusalem, the town that you're going to be in, in Greenwood, Arkansas, it's going to stay buzzing. There's going to be anxious hearts all around you still, but you, your journey has ended. 
Are you going to put your cloak down? Your journey has ended, so I put it down. I heard my Savior knocking. And I just remember in that season, God saying, like, uh, your way, Greg, your name, your personality, your prestige, your attributes, your everything. Let me tread on it. Is it nothing but a cloth for me to ride on? Very powerful. And what is left of me now? If you want to know, you can try to poke holes in it. I am, I am arrogant at times. I am. I am angry at times. I am, I am quick to speak and quick to become angry still. I am. I am, uh, I am anxious with my kids. I am, like, I, I am very selfish when it comes to my being a husband. But one thing I know to be true is I don't have a cloak anymore. And I am a servant, a slave, ready to serve. And that sucks at times. It's dirty. It get, you get spit on. You get made fun. You get pushed. But that's my role, is a slave ready to serve. And I'll tell you the truth about this. As the crowds kept going closer and closer to Jerusalem, odds are that they realized something very clear. Uh, they realized that there is vulnerability in being clothed differently. There is. There is a lot of vulnerability. Now, like, it was easy, like, from the Mount of Olives, when no one's there, to take off my cloak and to keep it off, and my tunic is being seen, my, 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 my upper thighs. Whoo! But now that we're going into Jerusalem, the reason anxiety was caused is because now there are Jews, half-naked, wailing about this man on a donkey. Like, can we just see how crazy that is? There is a vulnerability in being clothed differently. I, uh, I'm a part of a, a pastor's network meeting, and I just want to put myself out there and to show you how, how uh, my social anxiety. Uh, and we had a pastor's network meeting this week, and I always forget the days that it comes. And so here I am in shorts that were a little short. Uh, you know, my wife likes them, but they're short. And uh, a T-shirt and I'm wearing chacos, okay? And I forgot that I had this pastor's network meeting, and I already am an introvert, and it's in this new place, so I, I pull up. I walk the corner, and I see one guy I know. I see one guy I know, and it's this long little hallway because I went to the back of the building on accident. And I see, and I'm like, God, this is good. I hug him. This is so good to see you. And then I come into the little worship center area, and this is literally me. I walk in. And I just really walk out. I walk, I walk out. And I'm like, okay, I need to go back in. Because <sighs> there's all these men that I don't know, and I don't know them at all, and I have social anxiety of anyone else. I, I'm a real man. Uh, and so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go in. Guess what, guys, is the only one wearing shorts. Guess what, guys, I'm the only one wearing sandals. And guess what? I'm the only one wearing a T-shirt. And to throw it on there, I had a hat on. Um, and so here I am, and I'm like, I sit and the whole time I start watching as like I'm trying to cover up my arms with my hands. Anyone notice that when you just notice that you're awkwardly dressed and you're just trying to cover up your skin a little bit more? No one like made me feel that way but I'm trying to cover up my skin. There is this vulnerability in being clothed differently. You need to realize as a sheep that the world will cover up and look really pretty. Now, there's nothing wrong with those pastors not wearing shorts or at all, but it's to show you that there is an anxiety factor that comes up as we serve our Savior. There is. 
and you must get over it. Because the one thing that I know is he has shaped me. So I'm in this for him. And there is a vulnerability to be clothed different. There may be clothed with prestige, but I'm clothed with, with peace. They may be clothed with, with power, but I'm clothed with meekness. And one thing I know is if you know anyone who's really meek, they say one thing and the room just shuts up. It's like a mic drop moment. Wow, that was cool. Uh, that, that fit. Thank you, man. They say one thing. Why? Because there's more power in the meek than there is in the power of rage or the power of malice or the power of a loud voice. They might be clothed in something, but I have a tunic on. And it's already clear my message. It's already clear my purpose. It's to serve. But as we end this, I want to point out the part of this whole passage that really wrecks me. Okay, so you're like, what? We haven't even got that. No, it, it, I love the Greek and I noticed a wording. Uh, I, I noticed a wording as I was going into this and I try to read all the words and what they mean. And the interesting thing about Greek is there's not just verbs and nouns. There's also tenses to the verbs that actually change the meaning of the verb. And you're like, what? Yeah, I know. It's like, whoo. Okay. So scripture says this, if you can go, I'm sorry, it's not on there, uh, but if you could go back, Caleb, to that previous slide, it says, as he rode along, my version says people kept spreading, but if your version might be people spread, past tense, the NASB says people were spreading their cloaks, but the interesting thing about the word spread means to furnish, and it's a verb to furnish, but it's in imperfect verb, okay? A perfect verb means it happened and the power of a perfect verb is it happened and now you have to sit in the reality of why. Like there's power in perfect verbs. Like Jesus died and rose again. That's a perfect verb. And so now it's not the fact that he did it, but uh, when a perfect verb comes about, it's because now you have to sit in the repercussions of the verb, right? Imperfect is really cool though. Uh, Imperfect, this is the definition of an imperfect. It says, um, let me go all the way down to it. An imperfect verb is an action that is in process or a state of being that is originating from the past, but there's no assessment of when the action will be complete. What that means is these people did not just past tense spread their cloak and be done with it. The picture that it's painting is Brother Jethro put his cloak down. Jesus walked over it. He picked his cloak up. He ran and made sure it was covered again. Jesus rode over it. He picked it up. He ran and he made sure Jesus went over again. They were continually spreading out their cloaks with no sight of completion. Meaning as Jesus even is entering in and people are wearing palm branches, that's cool, but they're cloaks. Like, have you ever tried to lay your cloak down and not let your, your booty be seen by your short tunic, right? Like they, they are picking it up, running ahead of him, which Jews don't run, and making sure that it's still covered. The power of this is what it paints for us is 
I have the opportunity every day to do the same, to furnish the ground at which my Savior is about to enter in upon. Like every day, the reason this is continual, imperfect, is to say, wow, maybe I should be laying my cloak down again and again and again and again. Because every day I have the opportunity in my home to furnish the ground for Jesus to walk in on. Now what that looks like, it doesn't happen very well. What it looks like is every day in a conversation with your significant other and it's not turning out the way that you thought it would be and uh, you're getting a little angry and you want to show your, your dominance, you take your cloak down and you lay it down so that Jesus can enter in. When it, when it, every day I take my attitude, my gifts, my, some of you need to take your gifts and lay it down because you're being seen and Jesus isn't. Right? You lay it down so that the Savior can tread upon it. Like, that's the beauty. Take your identity. Some, you know, why? okay. Ooh. I have a heart for all who claim an identity that is not first founded upon Jesus. But this is what we must do. We must show them. We must prove the beauty of him who says, I want you to furnish the ground with everything you think you are because what I'm bringing you is life that you actually need. And this is what the beauty of it is every piece of my identity, I lay it down. And now listen, does he need that? No. In fact, if you remember the Mosaic law, I cannot give him this to pay my debt. Ooh, did you, ooh, ah, the Mosaic law, you cannot give your own garment to pay off your debt. But what you, that you're getting this? Some of you, you think like you're not. Some of you are not. You keep thinking that you doing everything you need to do is going to save you. No, it, this will not pay your debt. But what this does is it makes a grand entrance for a savior who's already coming. And Jesus said, like, whether they scream or not, the rocks will. But because I furnish the ground, this even gets to be a greater spectacle. Like, that's the difference. Jesus is already going to walk into my home because he is Lord. But when I line the ground with my cloak, it makes a greater spectacle of his glory. It really does. When I say, I am nothing and he is great... You've got to do that. You rely on Jesus to walk into your home or your office, and you just want to be a passerby. What would it look like for you to vulnerably make it known that you are a slave ready to serve, and none of this is worth it? And how greater then is his glory, the spectacle of his entrance, because you clothed it. You furnished the room. Is that beautiful? Like, I, I'm just like, okay, you, you, that's beautiful to me. I have this opportunity as a pastor, my anointings, and you could call me out. If you think that there is to see me, let me know. Because I want my anointings on the ground so that Jesus can walk on it. And his spectacle is even greater of known. Like, right, I want that as a dad, my individual dignity or my right to be right to my daughter who likes to argue with me. I will lay it down so that Jesus can come in and he can be seen as greater. Yes, she could know him on her own, but I get to show her him. 
by adding my cloak to the ground, right? Ooh, that's good. And when he comes, he does what he does best. And I'm going to leave it this. Some of you, you need to come this week. Every day, 6.30, we'll be here worshiping, and you'll hear we're going to track every single day with what Jesus is doing. Because when he comes into a city, when he comes into your home from the cloak that you lay down, when he comes into your workplace, when he comes into your marriage because you've laid it down, when he comes in, there's going to be power. He's going to curse things that are dead. He's going to bless things that are living. He's going he's gonna to knock over some temple tables. Like he is going to teach some mighty parables into a home where there are cloaks down. When he comes in, he's going to be anointed and seen for who he is. When he comes in, he's going to serve. When he comes in, he's going to break bread and show I am an intimate God. When he comes in, he is going to die. Show that sin is nothing to him by then being victorious. This is what we have the opportunity to do, and he'll come in whether we do it or not because the rocks are going to praise him. But you have the opportunity to furnish the ground to make that story a greater spectacle of his glory, right? Like that's the cool part. You get to be a servant who honors him and runs ahead, prepare the way of the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.